right. Um, if you're new, welcome. Uh, lots of people visit church on Easter or around that time. And so if you were here last week, you saw we covered one sentence, 25 words, out of Romans 8. And we're in a long study on probably the most clear and comprehensive explanation of what Jesus did, uh, a letter called Romans. And at the beginning of our study, months and months ago, we showed these resources that we have as a church. Sometimes just reading the Bible, uh, some of it's clear, but there's usually more that we're not getting. And these books are called commentaries, are written by people who've thought about it, studied it, and help bring some color. And we want you to have it. So here's what we're going to do. We have some of these at our welcome table as soon as you walked in. And if you're newer to the church, say you came Easter around it or missed it and want it, I just want to give it to you. This one I think is one of the best ones. By Doug Moo. I think it sells for 25 bucks or something like that. Uh, but we just want to give it to you. So all you need to do is, especially if you're newer to the church and you want to begin to understand it, just trust me, this will help. You read about six or seven pages a week based on what we're talking about, and it will make it more meaningful. So uh, Doug Moo, the NIV application commentary. And I don't know what to do with this. Would you mind just, yeah, you could have it if you, if you want it. If you don't want it, you could sell it for 50 bucks. Okay, you already have it. But you could give it to whomever you want and for no cash. All right, Romans 8. You've got your Bible. Let's just go there. We're going to throw it on the screen. Um, and we're going to go Romans 8. We did verse 28, and tonight we're going to double it. Or today, I should say, we're going to double it. We're going to hit two entire verses of the Bible. All right, let's just say it together out loud, if that's okay. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so we're going to go right into it because there are five words that go like, what? What do those mean? And we want to look at that this morning. All right, first thing we want to do is recap last week because we looked at Romans 8.28, but no, whenever you're studying anything, connections matter. So Romans 8.28 sets us up. So let's just review what we did last week. We have a podcast for free if you missed it. Four things we learned. Number one, God is relational. God is working. Uh, we are rebellious. In all things, God works for the good for those who love him, which means some of us, we're not living in a loving way towards God, and he knows it. But Jesus is the answer. Jesus, we see, helps bring us to a spot where we can express our love for him. And responding to Jesus is where life really begins. So that was last week. And to understand Romans, the promise of Romans 8.28 means that we recognize our response to who Jesus is. It matters. Well, yeah, I believe that Jesus exists like I believe Plato exists, and I believe Aristotle exists, and I believe Martin Luther King exists, and whoever else exists. No, 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 no. What Jesus claims is unique. I respond to that, and that kicks in life. And that was last week. If you want more details, you can look at the podcast. The question for today is, how? 
if responding to Jesus leads us to life, how does that happen? It, how can in all things God work for the good of those who love him? How does that happen? What Paul does is he tells us exactly how, without filling in all the details, but how we move into the life that God designed. So there are five words in here that may sound familiar but mysterious, and we want to look at them in the big picture and then in detail. Okay, five words. Foreknew. That sounds kind of obvious, new in advance. Predestined. That's the one that gets tricky. Called. Justified and glorified. And uh, welcome back to vocabulary lessons. It's like we're in the fifth grade again, okay? We need to look at these because I'm going to say this. Every one of you knows what those mean. You already have an answer. Here's the big question. Is your answer accurate? I know what it means to be predestined. Well, do we know what Paul is trying to say? And in the bigger picture, because Paul's being inspired by God himself, what is, he try what is God trying to say about your life in him? So when we talk about these, especially the one in the middle, uh, predestined, can become a stumbling block to people. So in order to do this, usually we look at the small parts and then we put it together. We're going to do it in reverse. We're going to look at the big picture and then see how the small parts fit. All right? In order to do that, we need to talk about hood to coast. I'm a believer in rabbit trails, but rabbit trails are helpful. How many of you ever done the relay race hood to coast? I love it. Yeah. Okay, another question. How many of you have done it more than once? Almost all the same, same hands. It is an amazing experience. If you've never done it or heard of it, it's the world lar world's largest relay race, and it happens here in Oregon every year. Starts at Timberline Lodge on Mount Hood, and 199 miles later, it's a foot race, and you run, not all 199, you have a team of 12. Team of 12 go out, and you run in 36 different legs. In other words, everyone runs uh, three times, and their teammates take turns. And it's, a, it's a hysterical, it's funny, it's smelly. It's, uh, it's, it's in a great experience. So Hood to Coast is going to help us see the big picture. Now, if you don't think this is big, do you know this year there are 1,050 teams on Hood to Coast? 12,600 runners running on normal roads, like on the sides of highways, in a 24-hour time period, for those of you who are into logistics, it's a logistical nightmare. But you need to know this. If you sign up, everything for Hood to Coast has already been mapped out. Before I start the race, I don't have to wonder, like, where am I going? When you get there, your team gets its team number. You've got a tag with a chip in it so they can find you. If you get lost, they can actually find you. There's a chip that tells you when you start and when you end. Uh, if you're like, well, how am I going to do it if I'm in the middle of nowhere? What if I'm thirsty? There are tables. They organize volunteers with tables for water. And then after you drink the water, where do I go to the bathroom in the middle of nowhere with hundreds of people around me? There are porta potties strategically placed all around. It's, it's an amazing experience. And then when you get to the beach at the end, there is a massive stage and party now, they don't, like, make it up as they go along. They organize the race and then invite you to enter in. Now, this is especially good news if you're running uh, on the middle, in the middle of the night because you go straight. You don't stop. I was doing a run 
five-mile run in the, um, in the foothills of the mountains towards the coast. And it was all, almost all uphill. And it's 2 a.m. All I could see is out of my headlamp and people's lights flickering around. I don't know where I am. And it starts to rain. And I look at my watch and I'm at four and a half miles. And I'm like, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And I, I'm like, I'm going to make it. Here's why I had confidence. My leg said five miles. Not five to ten. Not five to thirty. Five miles. And at four and a half, I was confident that I could make it to the end because I know that this was not just a random race. No, the race had been organized. Now, why the rabbit trail on to the coast? Because I want you to live healthy. I want you to get out. No, don't, don't bother signing up. It sells out every year on the day they open it up. Okay? But there are websites you can go to, and if you pay extra money, someone will sell you theirs. All right. Why Hood to Coast? Because we get lost in words. And in Romans 8, there are lots of words that we think we know what they mean, but we could get lost in the details. So rather than looking at small, let's look at the big. All right. In the big picture, what's Paul trying to say? Two questions I always ask myself when I'm not sure. If I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I'm not sure. First is, who is this written to? If you don't know who Paul is writing this to, you could actually misunderstand or misapply. Who is it written to? You need to know this. There is a church in Rome that's made up of mostly non-Jews with some Jews in it. Why is this important? All of these trigger words we just read about calling, foreknowledge, predestined, glory, justified, all of them made sense to Jews. Paul's writing from a Jewish perspective. These were all words that would describe those that God had called to himself. It was a people called Israel. God, remember, came to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and said, I want to bless the world and I'm going to use you. So here's what I'm going to do. God says, I'm going to bring you close and show the world how kind I am so that they'll want to know me like you know me. So Israel was called and Israel was predestined. Israel was foreknown. All of that to say, Paul is writing to a group of people that's mostly non-Jewish. The big picture of Romans 8, especially these verses, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, is meant to remind us most of the church what was only seen as for one group of people is now for everyone that has put their faith in Jesus. It's an encouragement. This is not meant to see and point the finger who's in Jesus and who is not. Romans 8, 29 and 30 is not about, this, these are the person, if this is not you, you're not a Christian. If this is you, you are a Christian. It's meant to remind those who have already started following Jesus, all that God has done for you. Now, second question I ask uh, is, what's Paul saying around these verses? Sometimes you read one sentence and you go like, I think that's what it means, but you got to look at the big picture. We've been looking at Romans 5 through 8, which is all about the hope of the good news. 
Romans 5, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus comes to life in him. How do I know that? Romans 5 and into 6 and into 7, you used to be in Adam. Adam was like everyone. He sinned and his relationship with God was broken. But now Paul says, here's the hope. You are now in Jesus. Adam goes downward. But you look at the life of Jesus, he's born and he goes upward. Adam sins, Jesus doesn't. Adam loses his closeness with God, but Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And what he says is, when you step into life in Jesus, you are now, Jesus is the one that you pattern your life after. Catch this phrase, we've said it again and again and again. Whatever is true of Jesus is now true of you. Now you're not God, and you never become God. But the pattern of Adam, sin and brokenness and confusion and death, that's not your pattern anymore. Why? You are connected and you are in Jesus. So Romans 8, 28 through 30 is about people who are now living in relationship to Jesus. Now three things we're going to see this morning. All of that was foundation because I want to make sense of the five words. But know this. It's written to a mixed church. Everyone here, if you have decided to follow Jesus, everything here is true of you. You say, Jose, but I don't, I don't come from a religious background and I see them and they seem to know the Bible, so they're like a step up. No, 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 no. These things are true of everyone who follows Jesus. Three things, write them down. Number one, God is working in all things for our good. That was last week. But you need to see the framework of what God is doing. God is working in all things for our good. Does it mean all things are good? No. So much of life is not good. But in them, God is working. How? Number two, we're going to focus on two and three. God is transforming us to become more like Jesus. In all things, God is working for the good. What's the good? How do we know what these things are? Well, he tells us in verses 29 and 30. Look at verses 29, verse 29 again. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's goal is to transform you to be more like Jesus. So hear this. Your circumstances may seem horrific. They may be terrible. It could be unjust. It could be outright against God's desire. But if you are connected to Jesus, he will take even those bad things and use them to transform you. Getting ready for Hood to Coast was more helpful than running Hood to Coast. Something happens when you commit to something and you find that even those hard experiences are transforming. So God is not saying everything is good. Evil exists and evil is real and God's not the author of it. As a matter of fact, God is opposed to evil and is working to remove it. But in the middle of me being exposed to real evil, I can say if I'm in Jesus, even this God can turn around to shape me. 
all five of these words, uh, foreknew, predestined, and justified, and called, and glorified, all of them are in a tense that is important. The tense is in the indicative. Now, I, I, I do this, I'll geek out, and I'll become normal in a second. A verb can either be an imperative, a command. Go and eat. Go eat. That's a command. Right? Or it could be an indicative. You are eating now. That is true of you. You're, you're eating. It's not a command to do it. I'm just saying what's, what's happening. You, you are eating the donuts. You are on a bit of a sugar high. You will crash in 10 minutes, and I will shake you up. All right? That's just true. I'm saying what's true of you already. All five of these words, you just need to know this, are not commands. They are true of everyone who is following Jesus. Disclaimer. These five words are not true of everyone breathing. These five are true of everyone following Jesus, and that is Paul's point. If you're in him, these are true of you. Now, why would he say these? Because in a mixed church, it was possible for those who had the Jewish heritage to sum it a little bit at those who didn't to say, well, we have one leg up on God. Not that people don't do that today. He's a Christian, but I'm not sure if, how good he is. I don't see him at church, and he doesn't really know his Bible, and I don't see any change in his life. Well, Paul's saying that in a mixed group like ours, where it seems like some are ahead and some are falling behind, these five are true of everybody. All right, let's go through them quickly. Number one, foreknew. What does that mean? For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknew means to know or choose in advance. That sounds kind of obvious. Foreknew. But you need to know this. In the Bible, it's almost always, not always, but almost always relational. Foreknowledge, to say that God foreknew doesn't mean he's smart. Duh. He already is smart. You know, he doesn't need to say that. For new is relational. You could put it this way. God set his love in advance on them. God's foreknowledge ought to encourage you and give you hope. Some say, like, it was about three years ago that I finally heard this news about Jesus. And something began to change. Great. That was three years ago for you. Wonderful. Before you were born, God set his love towards you. In every relationship, you usually have one person give the love first. When I first met Carmen, um, she didn't know who I was. I definitely knew who she was. And when she heard that my name was, oh, this guy Jose likes you, she actually thought I was my brother, which could have caused complications. I'd have to take him out, which I couldn't. But I... I foreknew her. I set my love towards her before she responded to my love. And in the Bible, you just need to know this. God is showing us that he foreloved you. If you are encountering God's love now, you just need to know God was the first one to give his love. So Adam, the first guy in the Bible, was foreknown by God. It's not like... God got smart. Oh, look, there's my creation. Adam, no, he, he knows it all. 
He foreloved him. Abraham in the Bible was foreloved by God. And the same is true of you. If you're in Jesus, God was already showing you love before you ever responded. And that's good news. Now, it says those he foreknew, he also predestined. This is where it gets a little trickier. The simplest definition is decided beforehand. Predestined, pre-before. Destined, destination. He before destinationed you. God planned, and hear this, the direction that he wanted to take you is not happenstance. And this is so helpful in a world that is clamoring to figure out why, right? And so since we don't know why, we choose to hold on to some bit of hope. And for many, hope is like chance, fate, luck, uh, cross fingers. Man, if, if someone will pay it forward towards me. All these are like, I'm, I'm just hoping something goes in my direction. Now, for those who are following Jesus, there's no reason to hold on to those for hope. Your destination in God, he was already working to move you in the destination that he laid out for you. Now, because this word has been, it's, it's the most misunderstood, there are multiple understandings. And some of you have a view of, of predestination as you read the Bible that is very different from others in this room. And so I just want to lay out where one side could go and, and just give the, the alternative view. Some think predestination is about God mapping out everything before the world began to the point where God in advance determines who is going to be one of his children and who is not. So in other words, before, before the foundation of the world, if I wanted to respond to God's grace in Jesus, well, if I wasn't predestined to do that, I don't get it. And God predecided who is in his family and who is not in his family. That's one understanding of predestination. And again, this has been discussed and at length for the last 500 years in particular, and we're not going to settle it in 35 minutes. But I, just want, I want to get you thinking that that may not be, well, I'll give you personal opinion, that's not right. That's just personal opinion. But others have that view. I don't think what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is determinism, that everything was determined in advance and there's nothing you can do to change it. In other words, anything that's going to happen is going to happen no matter what. I don't think that that's how God created the universe, and I think there's plenty in Scripture that would show that. But predestination in Romans 8, particularly in Romans 8, 29, is not about that. Here's why. Let's read it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Uh, when you learn foreign languages, you learn how English works. This is a clause that is supported by the previous word. So God predestined, and then there's a clause that supports that. What did he predestine? That those who, and then Romans 8, 28, who love him and are called according to his purpose, he predestined that what? They would become more like Jesus. Predestination, Romans 8, 28 and 29, is that God predetermined that when you respond to his grace and receive Jesus Christ, 
you in fact will go and become more like Jesus. What is true of Jesus is now true of you. So the predestination is not so much that these people are going to get my favor and these people are not. In Romans 8.28, it's everyone who responds to God's grace and receives Jesus Christ will in fact, whether they believe it or not, live more like Jesus. I believe that's what Paul's saying. Not everyone agrees about that. That's where I land and the majority of our leaders in the church land as well. So when you think of predestination, don't think as much who's in and who's out. Think everyone who's, who's in Jesus is going in the same direction. And by the way, God doesn't leave anybody behind. He's going to bring, you say like, well, I'm slow. Yeah, well, he's a, he's a great, great father and coach. He's going to get you there. Your progress may be slow, but he's working all things for the good. What's the good? The good is that you will live like Jesus. And one day, you will fully live like Jesus. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So, so what does predestination mean in my world? A couple of things. One, God's actually changing you. You say, well, you know, where is my power meet God's power? Don't even go there. God is changing you. Now, can I encourage you? Don't resist him. But God is transforming you. Romans 8 is connected to Romans 5. Remember, 5, 6, 7, and 8 are talking about hope. You read back at Romans 5, you're going to find that we were in Adam, but now we're in Jesus. Jesus is really making a change in your life, whether you see it or not. And God's goal for you is that you would grow. Predestination also tells us this, that God's plan is to bring you towards resurrection. Now, if you're new to following Jesus or the Bible, and I'm a little confusing, I apologize. But I want you to catch this. What's true of Jesus is true of you. Jesus died a real death, and he rose not just as a ghost. He was resurrected to a new body. That's why it says, so that Jesus could be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus is alive right now in a real resurrected body. He ascended to the Father. He's in the Father's presence. He's very much alive and he's praying for you. And one day, God's goal is that every one of his father, followers joins him in their future. God's predestination is that he said, I'm going to get you to where I am. So one day, and read 1 Corinthians 15, you will see the goal of the believers in the end of your life, one day God's going to make the whole world new, new heavens, new earth, and you are going to receive a brand new, resurrected, just like Jesus' body, and you will live with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You will live in God's space for all of eternity, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years of real life with God. Now, either I am reading the Bible or I have gone crazy. But guess what? I'm reading the Bible. And so when I think of hope, hope reminds me God loved me before I was aware of his love. In his love, right, God set out those who love him, called according to his purpose. He's going to get me to the resurrection, which is why my third 
point or third idea is that God is working to bring me into his future. We're talking about how does in all things God work for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose? Well, God's actually working to bring me there. So I'm becoming more and more like Jesus, hopefully, every day, month, year. I'll jump back to the hood to coast analogy. Before doing that, and I think this is, I don't know, five years ago or so that I ran hood to coast for the first time. I had never run more than three miles in, in my life, ever. The shortest leg for me was four. So the shortest leg was longer than my longest leg. But I thought, you know, I'm going to go for this. And I ran it once, and then I ran it again, and then I ran a half marathon, and then I ran a marathon. Here's the point. The more I go in a direction, the more I progress. In Jesus, again, analogies break down. But in Jesus, God's goal for you is that at the beginning, it's really hard to live like Jesus. Really hard. But the more I live like him, the more I go his way, the more I learn from him, the more I receive from him, the more it's becoming more natural. For me, my longest run was three miles. For me, a three-mile run is a warm-up years later. God's goal for you is that it would become more natural to respond and live like Jesus. How does he do that? We looked at the first two. Let's look at the other three. And we're almost done, give or take an hour. All right. Called. What does called mean? Called means to choose for a certain benefit or experience. To choose for a certain benefit or experience. Again, this is where analogies are sometimes helpful. It's kind of like when I, I ran Hood to Coast. That one decision had all sorts of implications. So there's a starting line and there's a finish line and there's all these legs in the middle. God called you to experience life in him in all the seasons of life. So following Jesus is not just a moment. I'm sorry, God, forgive me. I'm going to do whatever I want with my life. And then at the end, take me because you promised. That's foolish and that's common. The hope of your calling is that God chose you to receive these certain benefits, this experience. What's the experience? The entire journey. So in Hood to Coast, you get in a van with, it's usually two vans, there's 12 in your team, six in each, and you're in there and you take turns, you go out and you encourage each other and laugh and cry and stretch and cramp and smell and you do the whole thing together. And at the end, you get there together and you receive the joy of all the together. So God chose in advance. He, Before you even wanted to, God wanted to bring you into the family of people that are called. The calling, if you were Jewish, didn't mean just like me, God called me. If you were a part of the people of Israel at the time of, of Paul, called was all of us. We were the called people. So in advance, God, when you... When you choose to respond to his love and his grace, you are part of that family that's Jewish and non-Jewish and young and old and educated and ignorant and experienced and learning. Mixed bag, we're in it. Your calling should encourage you. You're not the only one following Jesus, which is why the race analogy is really helpful. We're meant to do it together. There's some crazy people who would do all 199 miles themselves. There are some super elites who could 
pull it off? <laughs> That's not anyone in this room minus one. And I'm not even going to name them. Christian Isaacson. But <laughs> I couldn't help that one. God called us together to enjoy him. And that's the point. So you're part of that family. So those he called, he also justified. Okay, Paul's looking at the whole map of the race. Again, the problem with details is we hyper-focus on the details. We miss the big picture. Foreknew in advance. Predestined. The, the Hood to Coast people already set the route that you would run before you get on it. Well, God already determined you're going to be like Jesus Called, you're included, you get the little bib, you get the little uh, thing with the chip. You're in the race with everyone else. And then justified, this is so helpful. We've talked about this a bunch. It means declared innocent or free of charges. Um, there are certain things that need to qualify you to get in the race. You, you don't just show up, just show up at Mount Hood without being on the list for Hood to Coast. Bye-bye. You're not running. Only those that are in get the benefit of being in. So to be justified is to be declared innocent. I don't deserve God's destination. I don't deserve God. I don't deserve any of this. Oh, but by the way, when I respond to grace, when I respond to his love, God qualifies me to run the race. He sets me free. I actually can walk with him. I actually can know him. And this is so helpful when you feel like you're falling short. The uh, second time I ran Hood to Coast, uh, it was my first leg in downtown Portland. And I was getting towards the end of my leg. And my ankle started to hurt. And uh, I, being a guy, I had a couple of ladies on my tail. And I could not get outpaced. I'm sorry. I just couldn't get outpaced. So rather than slowing down because my ankle was hurting, I kicked it up a notch and ran to the end of my leg. <laughs> they beat me anyway. But I got to the end of my leg. And then I got in the van. And then I stopped running. And then my ankle kept going. It just got all swollen and hurting. And I'm like, oh, I can't believe this. I, I'm going to be out of the race and someone else is going to have to run. And, but I was surrounded by this group of people. And, you know, we iced and elevated and got all this encouragement. And I'm not, just because I, I stumbled and just because I hurt myself doesn't mean I'm out of the race. In times when we feel like we're falling short of Jesus... God's foreknowledge, his predestination, his calling, his justification, his qualifying you to run is such an encouragement because there are times when you will stumble and you will fall and you'll think, how did I get here? I am out. And I need you to know God is the one saying to you, you're not out. You may be down. You may need to be surrounded by some people to help you. You are not out of the race. You have been justified. God has declared that you're innocent, you're in, and you can live with him. So those he called, the chain of events is to remind us of the big picture from beginning to end. God is working in all things for your good. All right, the final one, those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's glorified? It's kind of a word picture. It's clothed in splendor, which kind of makes no sense. Unless you're trying to think of what does it mean to be in God's presence? Glory relating to God is about his presence. God's glory is where he is. And so the metaphors in the Bible are usually about 
weight and heavy. In other words, I'll give a word picture. It may help, may not. So you got a, a, a young lady. She's out running in athletic gear, no makeup on, sweating it up, doing her thing. Okay, she's just running, doing her thing. Take that same woman, same exact woman, and picture her on her wedding day with her makeup and hair and in her beautiful gown. That's glory. She's clothed in splendor, right? Same person, but wow. The end of the road, if you run hood to coast, you, you get to the end and your whole team goes across the finish line and you go together and they call out your team name and rah, 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 and then you stand on a stand, you know, nobody else cares, but you do. And you're there and they put a medal that you basically paid for around your neck, you know, and you get the glory of going home smelling like vomit, okay? You just stink and you hug your friends and you, yeah, 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 and your glory fades. You put the medal up and it's over. But that, that is glory, like the, the achievement, the finish line. God's determined to make you more like his son Jesus. And in Jesus, there was death and resurrection. And if you're in Jesus, if you put faith in him, your old life is dead. It's gone. Your new life has begun. And the end of your new life is glory in God. Splendor. The presence of God. It's perspective. Romans 8, 28 through 30 is, is meant to give us perspective. In this life, you're going to have trouble. But those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So what will life look like when you see Jesus face to face? If you are in Jesus, hear me. This may sound crazy, but it's absolutely consistent with what God has been saying. One day in the resurrection, you will have a real body that will live forever just like Jesus. Now that's helpful as you get older in life. Because the older you get, glory doesn't seem to show up in the mirror, right? Our, our human condition is in Adam. It seems to be falling apart. And so there's wrinkles and then your wrinkles have wrinkles, right? And that's just the way life works. But my destination isn't death. My destination in Jesus is glory. What about sickness? What about struggles? What about hardships? What about pain? What about suffering? I'm not making light of it. I'm simply saying, how much is our pain, 75 years we'll call it, of suffering, 80, compared to 10,000 years of no end in the presence of God? How do those compare? What Paul is simply trying to say is in the middle of your suffering, gain perspective. God's called you to a race. He loved you enough to bring you into it. He set the trajectory of your life. He's called you to it. He's, he's appointed you. He's justified you. He's given you the qualifications to be in it. And God's going to take you to the end. And just where Jesus is, you will be as well. Here's a weird one. If you're reading this in the original language, those he called, he justified, justified, he glorified. Paul says it in the past tense. Those who he called and justified, he has already glorified. He already did it. I mean, just, just look at yourself for a second. Is he lying? Because I'm not glorified yet. 
Paul, in a moment, sees it from the big picture. He sees it from God's perspective. Not to get philosophical, but you and I are dropped into this thing called time. And God is not stuck in it. Paul sees it from God's perspective. In God's view, it's already done. He already sees you in Jesus. He already sees you in the end. And he sees you in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. And God's not done with you, so please don't give up on God. In your struggle, in your own failure, in whatever you're going through, don't give up on the race. Don't drop out and be discouraged because God's vision for your life is glory. So the question we need to ask is where are you on the race? Where are you? And if you're here this morning, have you even started? Have you, have you even responded? Because remember, Romans 8, 28 and 29 are connected. Those who, are, who love him, who respond to his love, and are called according to his purpose are the ones that are in this race. And so I can't assume that you're even in it. But just know this, God's inviting you, and as long as you're breathing... That is a great opportunity for you and I to respond to his love. And I'm of the conviction that everyone in this room can respond to his love, but not everyone chooses to. For whatever reason, God is gracious and I resist him. That is a story of life. Or I want God on my terms. I want you, but this is the you I want. And that you is very conformed to what I want. But this morning, will you just respond to his love and respond to his grace and, and begin, begin your story. Because life is going to be filled with all sorts of highs and lows and challenges. But if you're in Jesus, your destination is sure in him. I can't get me there, but God will. All right, some of you have already started. Let me ask you, if you're already in Jesus, have you stalled? The analogy of racing and races is helpful because along the journey we get tired, we get burnt out, we get injured, we get discouraged, and we want to quit. And so this morning, there may be some of you who say, you know what, I, I was doing this whole Jesus thing for a while, but then this happened, and then that happened, and then I forgot about it, and here I am, and I, I could have been making progress, but... Instead, I just feel stuck. Can I just encourage you? God can unstick you if you'll let him. If you'll respond to his grace and say, Jesus, I'm here. I know you want me here. Move me along. God will move you. He loves you that much. Those he foreknew, he predestined and called and justified and glorified. I'm going to encourage you. Keep moving. Keep moving. Well, let's just put some practical things to hang this on, and then we can respond and worship. What does it mean to move? I think growth is intentional. A race is a good analogy. Like, I can get out of the van and, and run, or I could sit in the van and talk about it, right? And so growth is intentional. We as a church are committed to your growth, but you have to actively participate. Kenny was talking about basics. You want to get connected with the church? The van in a race is a good analogy of church. A bunch of sweaty people trying to figure this out. Don't have it together, but doing it together. 
Maybe it's time to go to basics and say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of God's family. Maybe it's right after this, skipping your lunch plans and saying, you know what, there's going to be a conversation on who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does in my world. That could stimulate you to growth. It's about being intentional. Choose to grow. Choose to run. Choose to keep moving. I encourage you to do that. If you started following Jesus last weekend at Easter or you want to today, do something about it. Tell someone about it. We want to push each other and stimulate each other towards growth. So let's respond. Why don't you stand on your feet and we're going to sing. And as we sing, we want to invite the Holy Spirit of God to open our minds to what He's doing and open our hearts to His, His way. And I want to invite you now that let these next 15 minutes together, where we go to the bread and the cup and we sing and respond, let these 15 minutes be life-giving minutes for you. Lord, we thank you that there's nothing that we can do to reach our way towards your love. You've already done everything needed to get me on the race back to you. And so now, God, I, I embrace where I am and I embrace where you're calling me. And Holy Spirit of God, I'm asking you to awaken my mind to the things that I can do to participate with you, to partner with you, to go in your rhythm and your way so that I will end up in the place that you have called me. Lord, we're saying we need you. And so we give ourselves back to you in the songs that we sing, in the lives that we